it, friends. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. At The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about the future, and we're not afraid to give the straight scoop about what's going to be happening in the world very soon and what's happening in the world right now. And that straight scoop can be summed up as follows. If you're not excited about the future, then you're not paying attention. We think that we stand on the brink of an incredibly bright future, if we play our cards right, a future that most of us haven't even imagined, much less dared to hope for. And it's a future that we're all very much going to want to live to see. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me, as always, here in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. We need to take that slogan. If, uh, if you're not excited about the future, you're, you're not paying attention. We need to get, get that on a T-shirt or something. I love we that. We do. Well, I, you know, as a little bit of background to the, uh, uh, to the listeners, I, I, you have actually designed a, a prototype T-shirt, and uh, I got so involved in, like, uh, tweaking that over the week that I never sent my, my response to you back. But I think uh, it was a good start, and I think we're well on our way to having a, if you're not excited, about the future you're not paying attention t-shirt uh, uh, developed here one of these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, I look forward to that. That'd be great. A freebie for the for for the guests. Yeah, I, th- I think we we need to put that on coffee mugs, license or not license plates, what am I saying? Uh, what do you call <laughs> vanity it? plates or something, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that would be a kind of a lengthy vanity plate, I think. But uh, <laughs> yeah, true. bumper sticker—that was the term I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, Stephen is with us, and uh, our chat host Michael Darling AWOL this evening. So uh, we're going to put on an a- APB on him here pretty soon. But uh, Michael, if you're listening, uh, you know, sign in on the chat room or, uh, or or call on into the show. Either way, we'd uh, we'd love to have you be part of our broadcast this evening. Now, speaking of people being Part of our broadcast this evening, Stephen, I'm going to jump right into a quick interview. Um, right, I right. told you that, uh, that we have a surprise guest this evening, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, basically it's some technology buying tips. And, and I don't know if you saw an article on uh, Instapundit, would have been, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was a link from him, and it was an Amazon uh, page where people were talking about this uh, $499 Ethernet cable. Yeah, I, I saw that, and I, and I guess the question is, does it work any better than uh, you know the twenty dollar or fifteen dollar Ethernet cable? Well, the consensus is no, it does not, and that uh, actually uh, Glenn's take on it was uh, for when audiophile is synonymous with sucker is uh, how, how he described it. And uh, actually, if you go if you follow that link, we'll put the link up in the show notes. If you follow that link, some of the comments uh, that that some of the people left on that uh, Amazon page are just among the funniest things I've ever read. But basically, uh, they're selling a cable they could be selling for, say, 5 bucks. They're selling it for $499. And that's why our special guest is with us this evening to talk about an experience that uh, she has had this weekend uh, very much along those lines. Our guest is a telecommunications professional with a background in law, but uh, more to our purposes tonight, she is a world-class shopper and the toughest negotiator I've ever met in my entire life. She uh, is well-known to speculist readers as the specky wife, and she has uh, listened to uh, Blog Talk Radio, although this is her first time calling in. My wife, Suraya Yahaya. Welcome to Fast Forward Radio. Thank you. How are you? 
Well, that's, this I'm is exciting, Phil. I'm, <laughs> I've, I've met Soraya on a couple of occasions, and getting her on the show is great. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of a coup, having her on the program with us this evening. Now, let's uh, set the stage uh, a little bit and talk about what we went through this weekend. So um, uh, I'll just I'll fill in a little bit of background, and then, and then you jump in uh, when, when the time is right to tell uh, what, what we felt we eventually had to do about it. But basically, we went out to buy a, an HDTV system over the weekend, and uh, we already had a smaller HDTV, and we, we were actually going through this uh, uh, process of returning it uh, and and getting a, a new one to replace it and uh, because we decided to go a little bit bigger and then also get a, a completely new one uh, for upstairs. So, uh, Soraya, go ahead and, uh, and, and tell what, uh, what happened next. Well, yeah, so we, we went into the store, and all we needed to do was to get um, an upgrade on the TV downstairs, so a little bit bigger TV, wasn't too expensive, and then a new TV for the upstairs. And since we've got this new house, we were going to get a new TV for the upstairs. And we figured we'd done the research, we'd looked at what we'd liked, and all we were going to do was get a couple of TVs. But we walk out of there with the guy having sold us a bunch of cables and a power surge protector and a wall mount, and all those things in total came to about maybe $800. And I was just, I was just blown away. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, so instead of just having the, the price for the two TVs, we were spending an extra $800, which the guy insisted we needed, and wouldn't let us leave the store without it. Yeah, so, so as, as, we're, as, we're, as we're coming out of the, the uh, very inaccurately named Best Buy, uh, <laughs> as, as we're trying to get checked out of this place, uh, this guy has loaded up this cart. You know, we got your, we got your two TVs coming, but here you're going to need this wall mount. Uh, you're going to need this. Uh, you're going to need the extended warranty, too. I'm sure he tried to sell you that, right? Well, as a matter yes. of fact, they were, they were. Go ahead. Yeah, yes, absolutely. He was, he was going to sell, sell us the extended warranty, and, and he, he was trying to sell us this thing called calibration, which is where, and, I, and, I, and we, we just couldn't believe this, it makes the black on your TV look even blacker. Okay. So and, for 300 and, bucks, they'll, they'll have some guy come tune your TV so black looks blacker. If you're okay. Ready. All right. Um, so, so, yeah, so, so he's, he's loaded up. He's got us this uh, surge protector, this wall mount, and he shows me this cable. And he says, um, "Now you're going to need this cable uh, to hook the uh, uh, to, to, to hook the, the the TV up to the to the uh, Directv receiver, uh, and because it's in wall rated, you you have to get this kind. You accept no substitutes." And I look at the price of it, and I'm like, ninety bucks. And I I remembered the the Glenn Reynolds thing, and I said, "Ah, uh, that's okay. Never mind on that. I'll I'll hold off on getting that cable." Um, and so he backs off from that, but then he gives us this other cable. And he says, oh, okay, but you do need something to connect the TV to the Blu-ray machine. Oh, we also bought a Blu-ray machine, uh, a Blu-ray player. He says, you're going to need this one. So this is just the basic bare-bones cable. And I'm so distracted. We're buying a phone at the same time, too. I'm looking at all the different things that I don't think anything of it. But uh, we get out of Best Buy. We come home, and we start kind of just looking through the, uh, looking through the receipt. And uh, how much did that second bare-bones, supposedly less expensive cable come to? Uh, $140. You're kidding. So I, he, no. he took away the $90 cable and gave you a $140 cable. Correct. He slipped, us, he slipped us a shorter cable, not in wall rated, that cost $50 more. Okay? Oh, man. 
So we, here we got this $140 cable. We had uh, the wall mount was, how much was that thing? About uh, 180 The wall bucks, mount, yeah, it was $180, and then the surge protector was like $170. Right. So I Im- immediately just go looking for cables, and I find um, a cable that will do the exact same thing. Uh, actually, I find the 10-foot in-wall mounted cable, you know, the, the, that's, the, in other words, that it, it, it's rated, it's okay to stick it inside a wall. Yeah. There is a difference between cables to that extent. So I found a, a 10-footer um, for, I think it was 6 bucks, and then I found a 6-footer that we could use to connect the Blu-ray to the, uh, to the TV for about $4. So, uh, wow. You talk about a margin. They, made a, they make a killing on that, don't they? And it's just it's entirely, you know, just not uh, selling it to people that just don't know, the, know better. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, for one thing, if you're buying like a 40-inch TV, you just you, you, numbers aren't making sense to you anymore anyway after a while. They kind of wear you down, and then they're loading up your cart with all this stuff. And, yeah, they end up charging you $230 for cables that uh, you could buy online for $10. Now, I, I don't begrudge a retail outlet for charging more than online costs. I understand why that would be the case, but not, you know, a 1,000% more. That, yeah. That seemed uh, that seemed outrageous to me. So uh, they're, they're just as, sticking as, it to the rubes. Then you know, I mean, they're really people who don't know better. That's they're just getting to them. And uh, fortunately, y'all didn't know better. And uh, I guess y'all are going to take those cables back now. Well, now you're you're jumping to the uh, the happy conclusion of the story here. So so what we I'm did sorry. was uh, <laughs> while we're uh, while we're uh, while I'm on Amazon, I start looking at some of these other things. I found the exact same surge protector uh, that we said. How much did that thing cost? Uh, $170. $170. <laughs> Found that for about, wow. I don't know, $65. I mean, it's it's not just a surge protector. It's a whole, like, home entertainment surge protector unit. And the wall mount, which cost how much originally? Uh, I think that was 150 Yeah, about 150 bucks. Found that for about uh, $75. I mean, and I'm talking the exact same components, okay? This, this wasn't even just comparable. These, these were the exact same components. And I'm Amazon Prime. So I can get all this stuff shipped to my house uh, second day at no charge. And I love Amazon so Prime, by the way. That that paid for itself like in the first week that I that I that I got it right before Christmas, and and now yeah, and now it's that, just it's just money in the bank every time I use it now. Absolutely, Amazon Prime is the greatest. Um, so so basically, I went ahead and ordered all those and uh, tell the rest of the story. And uh, I went back to Best Buy and uh, politely let them know that uh, they were going to take that stuff back. And uh, they kind of looked at me, and I and I think they figured that um, I was in no mood to be messed with because <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> because he hardly, he hardly ever asked me any questions. He just kind of looked at me. He looked at the cables. I think I think he had an idea of what was going on, and he and he kind of went, uh, "Yes, ma'am," and. Refunded it our eight hundred bucks. Uh, I, I think he must have understood that the gig was up. You know, uh, <laughs> right? They, he figured out that y'all had figured that y'all had figured it out. That's funny. Oh, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I think. Uh, go ahead. But you know, I was just saying while we were there, we saw you know several people whom we whom we know from church, and I was just wondering as we were leaving that store, you know, how many people, how many innocent people, get ripped off at stores like this. Well, I'm sure it's not just Best Buy, but I mean, it's just any time that you have a situation where, you know, particularly with something that's technical like this, 
there's there's just so many people that don't know, and that and when you don't know in something like that, you, that can really stick it to you. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I think I think you 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 got a situation here where maybe the uh, uh, the the surge protector and the wall mount th- th- those were just I mean you know I might not have been so annoyed about those had it not been for the thousand percent markup on the cable. But when you see that, you go, okay, so this is like the popcorn of Best Buy. You know, you know that the, that the movie theaters make all their money exactly. off popcorn. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking Best Buy, they must make all their money off, uh, money, all their money off cables. But to, but to just glibly upsell me, you know, to a hundred and forty dollar cable after I had said I didn't want to buy an expensive cable was that that was just that was too much. That was over the top. So we decided well, that the extended warranty run. is another thing that they really make a lot of money on. I mean if if they can if they can sell a person on that, then they that's almost like, you know, just free money, you know? Exactly um, right. They don't it, it, it rarely, uh, rarely are those things used and if they are then it's it's not going to be as much as what you know, was uh, was spent on it. At any rate, I, I had an engineer tell me one time about a, a, a rule called the ninety fifty rule. Have y'all ever heard about that? I've no. Heard that, no. Um, it, it says that ninety his his ninety fifty rule was basically you can get ninety percent results from fifty percent effort. You know, so right. it, I, I guess it, the same goes for buying things. If if you if if you have the opportunity to buy something really cheap or something middle of the road or something very expensive to fill some need, then you want to go middle of the road usually. If you go cheap, you're going to get you won't get something that's that's good enough. And if you go too expensive, then you're just going to get ripped off. Um, right. Right. It's usually the middle of the road product that's the, that's the best bet. And of course, there's there's exceptions to that, but um. well, the, the the thing you have to keep in mind about an HDMI cable or any digital cable is uh, we're not talking about a stereo speaker cable. We're not talking about analog here, where you know it's like some uh, metals will be more conductive of sound and electricity, and you're actually going to get a better sound out of the cable depending on how well it's manufactured. I mean, stereo cables are a huge ripoff anyway, but but at least there is some principle behind that with the digital cable. Either the signal comes through, in which case it's the signal, or it does not. You know, I yeah. mean, it's just that simple. There, there is, there is no such thing as a, like a like a snowy signal coming over a digital cable. It's either going to come across or it's not going to come across. So it's a, it's it's a. Real well, I guess I should ask if, if have y'all hooked it up? Has it come across? Have y'all have y'all seen the picture yet? Uh, we have not. The uh, the Geek Squad is coming on Saturday to actually install all these uh, components. Um, I, I hope it'll be awesome. Amazon Prime, they'll all be here by Wednesday, so uh, we'll be. Looks like we got our uh, got another caller, Phil. All uh, right. Well, our uh, other surprise it, guest, surprise guest number I'm two. I'm going to uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening, Soraya, and uh, we hope you'll be on the program again with us again uh, to to warn consumers about other pitfalls. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank thanks. you, Soraya. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. So let's let's bring on guest number two, Phil. Okay, and before we do that, let me just say real quick that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network, Phil and Stephen, talking about various subjects about the future. Stephen, introduce our guest. Okay. Tobias Buckell, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Can you guys hear me okay? Oh, yeah. Great. Hi, Tobias. Welcome to the program. Thanks. I, I guess I should introduce uh, introduce our guest by, by telling our audience that uh, he's been on Fast Forward Radio a couple of times before. Uh, he is a science fiction novelist. Uh, he writes what he he, de- he describes as Caribbean steampunk uh, science fiction. Is that correct, Tobias? Sure, Caribbean science fiction is what I'm all about. 
<laughs> That's right, and uh, he you is, own that niche, man. You yeah, totally that, own that, that is that is his, and uh, I believe you're about to come out with your third novel. Is that right, Tobias? Correct. The third one comes out this August, and uh, will be called Sly Mongoose. Comes out August 19th. Well, we'll hope to get you back on the show so we can talk about that when it comes out. But uh, to, but Tobias got to uh, went and saw Hellboy this weekend, the, the sequel, uh, Hellboy Two. Uh, is it the Golden Army? Yes, it's the Golden Army. was uh, out, uh, I think it was uh, Friday night to see it. And I got to see it as well. Phil, you didn't. You have not seen it, right? I have not yet seen it. So, But that's okay. You can spoil that for me. That's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I wanted, uh, yeah, I wanted to bring, bring in, uh, you know, Tobias had seen it, and he had some, uh, some strong opinions about it, and I want, I'm glad to get him on the show to share that with us. Um, what did you think, Tobias? I, I rather enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought uh, I, I, what I particularly enjoyed and what I wrote uh, on my blog was that the, the spectacle was quite amazing. I think it, uh, I think he may have out Star Wars bar Star Wars. Uh, the uh, scene where they go through the troll market is rather amazing. I kind of wish I had a uh, uh, pause button uh, to while I was sitting there watching it because it was pretty spectacular, very visually arresting. I, I agree completely. It was. Um, and it went on and on and on. You know, the, the, the Star Wars cantina scene, it blew us away back when, you know, in the 1970s when we first saw it. But if you go back and look at it now, it just lasted, you know, it was a brief, it was a brief uh, interlude in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this uh, marketplace uh, where it had these, all these different fantastical creatures, it just seemed, I mean, that, that segment just seemed to go on and on, and it was so much inventiveness in that. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was uh, worried about was the uh, when I saw the uh, previews for it, it kept emphasizing the fact that this was the director of Pan's Labyrinth, and I wondered why they kept referencing that instead of Hellboy 1. But uh, what I, I think uh, what they did was they really let uh, Del Toro go to town with the special effects that he wanted to do and the, the sort of aesthetic feel that he wanted, uh, which is slightly different. He got to do more more amazing you know uh, creatures, more, more sort of Del Toro-like... Uh, interactions with those creatures than uh, he has done in, in previous movies, uh, the previous Hellboys, which is actually on TV right now as we're speaking. I'm watching it. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Outstanding. It's, yeah, it's, uh, but it, he really kind of... It is really definitely by the maker of Pan's Labyrinth, not necessarily Hellboy 1. He really... They gave him... They, un, they unleashed him a bit. So it's, it's really quite spectacular. I think he, he earned that with uh, with the first one. He, he, it, was, it was obvious that he had... You know, he had a lot. He had a lot more to give, uh, but they, he was a little bit constrained, I believe, in the first one. Uh, you know, the other surprise in the movie was uh, Abe Sapien. Um, he, you know, he was he was kind of a supporting character in the first movie. I mean, uh, he, he's the fish guy, okay. Right. And um, and in the second movie, he uh, he really stepped out, didn't he? He became a very important yeah, he, character. He, uh, they definitely gave him more. I would have to say more. Uh, more play. He had uh, more critical, uh, more critical uh, part to play in the plot than the than in the previous movie. Yeah, he also got to uh, the, the actor got to speak his uh, his own lines in this one. Uh, they had uh, dubbed the entire you know everything that he did in the first movie was dubbed by the uh, the actor who plays Niles and Frazier. Yes, uh, was was the voice of Abe Sapien in the first movie, but uh, this time they. They allowed the actor to do it, and he—he was—he was just outstanding. I think and, he did a good job. I think yeah. he did a real good job. 
Yeah. So, so overall, what's what's our thinking now? So, Hellboy Two is keeping us uh, keeping the great summer movie summer alive, or uh, yeah, right you know, up there. I mean, what it is, you know, we've had a great run. We've got, you know, we had Iron Man, we had the rebooted Hulk, which I really enjoyed, and now we had a rather good Hellboy. So, I think uh, I think it's been a really nice summer for those of us who enjoy comic books, graphic novels, the you know science you know science fiction fun. It's uh, it's you know so far no major major horrible horrible disappointments. Um, I, I think that the plot of Hellboy two was a little less um, as strong as as the spectacle was. I, I definitely think it was really uh, there were some spots that were slightly uneven, not as amazing as the spectacle. But I don't know if that was the spectacle completely overriding the plot, you know, and, and, and uh, me waiting for it to go up a notch. But I, I'm really looking forward to seeing The Hobbit as done by Del Toro, Del Toro because I think the, his sense of amazing spectacle, which he has, uh, above, you know, above, uh, above and beyond his, his plot ability, yeah, combined with the great plot of The Hobbit, which is which was one of my favorite books, I think it gives him a really great map to put his sense of... Uh, you know, his aesthetic uh, world-building and, and ability to show amazing things on screen together. So I'm actually kind of like a lot more positive about The Hobbit than I was before. Well, that's neat because, I, you know, I, I noticed in some of the plot elements in this Hellboy, it seemed to me were, uh, were lifted straight from Tolkien. Hmm. Uh, it, it just seemed like, uh, you know, um, and I don't want to give too much of that example. away. For example. For no, example, we, well, we have... We have well, it's coming everywhere. We have elves here. Uh, they're not the same kind of elves as what you see in Tolkien by any means, but um, I don't know I, what what it was that necessarily uh, brought to mind that. But it's, I guess it's the same epic scope. We're talking yeah. about something from the beginning, you know, from the foundation of the world, uh, a yeah. conflict that uh, you know from that from that far back uh, resonating even now. And well, I guess. I can- what you're saying, I can really see what you're saying. Yeah, um, and so may, maybe he was playing with some of those elements in preparation. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. I I, I hope he doesn't feel too constrained uh, by by the fact that you know we all know the Hobbit. Um, well, I, to, I hope... to riff off of what you were just saying, uh, I think one of the r- remarkable aspects of Hellboy Two is that it it takes on a much more mythic quality. Hellboy One is very much sort of a second world fantasy. Uh, much more interested in it's got a little h- hints of Lovecraftian it's a sort of um, you know hidden world uh, fantasy whereas Hellboy 2 really goes with the um, myth and legend from before time coming all the way through to affect us right the and other it, thing that uh, oh I'm sorry I, I was just going to say and I'm, it makes me look forward to Hellboy 3 because it's de- Hellboy 3 is uh, it, it, I mean it's inevitable now I mean, it's it, uh, Hellboy Two stands alone, and it's a great story on its own. But uh, obviously, they they you know they begin to lay the foundation of what the Hellboy character is and what he means to the world in the first movie. But they played it strong in the second movie, and and uh, and and makes you wonder how in the world they're going to resolve, you know, who Hell Hellboy is. You know he's this—he's this, he's this uh, creature uh, that's meant to be evil, but obviously he's trying to be good. And how that—how that's going to be resolved? Uh, I think that has to be the story, I, I suppose, of the third movie because I sure have been playing that up. Yeah. Uh, they could complete—they could complete the trilogy with that. But, oh well. But I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, Tobias. I, 
Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I observed from the first movie is that uh, uh, Hellboy doesn't seem to have a, 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 a diabolical bone in his body, right? I, he, uh, you know, he loves did the Gene Skippet generation or something, right? I mean, he's he's a big, <laughs> tough, mean guy, but he's you know you know what I mean. There's, there's nothing satanic or evil about him, right? He's just gruff. I think is about the the the, the worst thing you can you, you, you can say about him. But uh, so you're saying in the second movie and, and moving on into the series that maybe they explore that side of him a little further. The fact that he is theoretically uh, evil, right? I mean, or at least that's what he springs from. Yeah, that's what he springs from. And uh, that, uh, yeah, that's that that's mentioned a couple of times, but it's almost as if you know. It's an aside, I guess. Um, it, it and 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 it was used by one of the main characters in uh, trying to tempt him again, as it, as it was in the first movie. And uh, so it just makes me think that that's what that's the, that they'll have to make some resolution in the third movie. But. It certainly looks like that's the direction that they're uh, going and playing a little bit more with the mythology of Hellboy. Who, uh, as far as the creature effects go, Tobias, who was your favorite in the movie? Do you have there was was there a particular one that stands out? I mean, I know there's so much detail in that in, in that uh, market scene. Uh, there, you know, uh, there was so much to enjoy. I, I really am looking forward to seeing this a second time to sort of get a sense of of the full the full palette. You know, the full the full effect of everything he used. But that definitely would be probably a movie I get on DVD just to see the spectacle, as I keep calling it, as, yeah. as for favorite creature effect. Um, you know, I really, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the scenes with the, uh, you know, the, the troll that uh, Hellboy does battle with. I thought those were a lot oh, of yeah. fun. And just the general, I love all the little steampunk elements that crop up in both movies from time to time. Obviously, you know, what I loved about it was obviously if any weird idea jumped into any into their heads during the making of this, it was encouraged. Which, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was not there was there was nothing nothing was stomped on because I mean literally there's one guy in the in the marketplace uh, that that they meet in passing that has a cathedral growing out of his head. Yeah, a literal cathedral complete with lights and the stained glass and everything. It's obviously meant to be part of his biological head. I mean, yeah. and I mean, it's just weird stuff like that. And I mean. He, you just don't see that in most movies, but anyway, yeah. that's few that's great. Well, I, w- one thing I want to check with you on, Tobias, since we talked about it last week and we were kind of reviewing uh, all the all the cool uh, superhero movies this summer. Did you see uh, Hancock, and what did you think of that? I have not seen Hancock. I have not seen Hancock oh, okay. yet, um, so I, I I have no comment on it. I think my favorite superhero movie so far, this and if you include Hellboy and and, and superhero films, I would uh, I'd guess probably my favorite so far is still Iron Man, but Hellboy was very good. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it'd be really hard for me to pick. I've I've enjoyed all three. Oh yeah, we've had a we've had a fun uh, uh, comic book movie summer so far. That's for sure. Uh, Hancock yeah. is kind of the outlier, I think. If you guys get a chance to see that one, I. I, I I think it probably had the potential to be the best, and it falls short a little bit. Uh, but we won't get back into Hancock since we since we talked about it last week. I'm I'm very much looking forward to the X Files movie coming out. Is that uh, well, that's, that's still a couple weeks away? I think. And I'm also uh, 
looking forward to the Mummy and uh, the the third Mummy movie and a bunch of others. I mean, we've got like this uh, really good summer run. Looks yeah. like. And, oh, and don't forget Batman. I think that's next weekend. So. That's next weekend, right? Yeah. yeah wow. Right. I mean, that's quite a few superhero movies that uh, all have the potential to be good. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the summer of the superheroes for sure. Well, um, we're coming up on another break, Tobias. We really appreciate you uh, 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 calling in, surprising us like this. It's great to hear from you, and uh, we're looking forward to having you back to talk about Sly Mongoose here on a uh, have you on for a full show here before too long. When's when's the book coming out again? August August nineteenth. There's actually a, a book trailer on my website if you go to tobiasbuckel.com forward slash Sly Mongoose, uh, uh, telling people a little bit about what the book's about if they're interested. Outstanding. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, and uh, maybe sometime right around the 19th of August, uh, Tobias, we'll have you we'll have you back on the program, and we can uh, talk a little further about this. That would be great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It's great talking to you. No problem. Thanks very much for having me aboard. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, you Tobias. Too. Good night. All right. Well, back to back surprise guests. I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't know what we're going to do with the. Uh, with the second half of the program, but this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Phil and Stephen talking about various topics in the future. I I can only hope, uh, Stephen. I just want to know if the if, if the phone is ringing. <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Here we go. Sorry. There is no phone ringing. Damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that was. I talked over that a little bit. Let's try that one more time. So I just wondered if the phone is ringing. Uh, all right. There is no phone ringing, damn it! <laughs> okay. That is Charlton Heston, and I think that's in a Mega Man where he completely wigs out uh, in a Mega Man. So, at any rate. <laughs> <laughs> what did he actually say? There is no phone ringing, damn it. Oh, <laughs> and of course, in the background, you hear a phone ringing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's audio. Uh, I, I needed subtitles on that one. I heard phone ringing, but I wasn't sure about the rest of it. Anyway, so upset with us. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, there's nobody we admire more than you, Charlton. So uh, you know, didn't didn't mean to. Uh, Thanks a lot, you cheating bastard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I gotta give. I gotta give uh, Heston a break tonight. But anyway. Yeah. What an attitude, Gage. <laughs> Chuck, we're gonna have you on the show when you're in a better mood. Okay, man. That's <laughs> you do not get to be our surprise guest tonight. So yeah, that's right. So that was fun. That was fun. Two surprise guests back to back. We've never done that before. So that that was pretty cool. Um, and now we're gonna talk a little bit about. Uh, I believe. Well, actually, we're a segment behind. So, what do we what, do? We do we go ahead with the energy stuff? Yeah, let's go ahead and, and, and kick off uh, um, uh, the stuff about ele- uh, um, electric inevitability. I guess is what you were writing about earlier this week. Well, actually, right? I had started out. I said maybe we want to talk a little bit about the Pickens plan. Yeah, uh, let, let me get into that just a little bit now. T Boone Pickens, of course, uh, is, he's famous as an old guy from way back. He's he's now eighty years old, and he's I think he's been. In energy, probably sixty years. I think that's 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 about when he got involved in, in the oil business of, uh, originally. He is now uh, involved in wind power, and his idea is, is simply this: that uh, more than any other country, uh, we have uh, been blessed uh, with wind as a resource, and the entire center of our country, basically from. Uh, 
Texas going straight up uh, to to Canada. Um, you know, we're talking um, east of the Rockies, just east of the Rockies. That entire area right there is just a, com- uh, a completely uh, blessed with with wind power, potential, potential wind right. power that has not been harnessed at all. And um, there's a uh, there's a community uh, in, called Sweetwater in Texas. That's the name of the town where they have uh, they've really poured the uh, um, the, these huge windmills into this into this area, and uh, and, and you know, and it produces an un, unreal amount of electricity. And the cool thing about this is that it is right in the center of our country. We can we can make this power right in the center of our country and ship it to the west coast or ship it to the east. And uh, and so it's it's a real resource, and he, he's really pushing it. And his idea is that you know we we do this, and um, and then. We can, by doing that, we can replace the electricity that is produced by natural gas, and then use the natural gas as transportation fuel. It's a clean burning fuel. Um, it could be, and and we make it right here. You know, we 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 get it right here in in our country, and and displace that much. Uh, uh, petroleum that we have to buy from overseas, and his concern is that we're buying so much um, that uh, overseas that it's it's beginning to uh, uh, you know it, it could potentially bankrupt bankrupt our country as uh, as 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 foreign uh, uh, countries get rich on uh, us buying their oil, and then you know they potentially buying our industries, and uh, I, I can see his uh, his concern with that. It's it's a uh, we used to have an energy surplus in this country. Now, uh, obviously, we're we're having to buy more and more and more of our energy. And if we can, yeah. Well, he talks about uh, the fact that we're spending about seven hundred billion. Is that right? Seven hundred billion a year on uh, imported oil. That's right. And if we were to do what he says, if we were to um, generate power for the grid from wind, take the natural gas that we're currently using to generate that power, uh, and Fuel vehicles with it, that would save us about 300 billion out of that 700 billion a year going uh, uh, to other countries. You know, it's it's a it's a matter of making better use of resources that that we already have. Because yeah, you look at that map he shows, we're kind of the Saudi Arabia of wind. It That's right. Me like it. If, if, if you we're the Saudi it. Arabia in a lot of ways. We have a we have a lot of blessings that we have not we've not really tapped into uh, wind. Well, yeah, uh, we're the Saudi Arabia of shale. Right. And, and we're the, uh, yeah, and we're the Saudi Arabia of coal, of coal, and we could be the Saudi Arabia of nuclear power if we wanted to be. Right. Uh, so it's just all these things have not been uh, have not been used because I, and primarily because oil has been so cheap. I mean, you pump it out of the ground; it's just about ready to use. And um, you just you know, and so the, there's not been anything that could really compete with that on the basis of price. Well, now that the price has has gone up and up. Um, you know, it's it's going to get where more and more alternatives are can it can compete, and and then when and then we develop them, and uh, and that's the way that works. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's I think wind is uh, is a is going to be a huge player, and uh, and electric as and I think that electricity as far as our transportation fuel are is going to be more and more uh, important. And, uh, well, I think so too, and that's that, that part of what you were writing to, about, wasn't it? Yeah, that that, that leads to the uh, the piece I put up about uh, the what I first cleverly disguised using uh, PaintShop Pro as the Eero truck. Uh, this this amazing 
this this amazing vehicle that uh, that goes 100 miles on about three dollars worth of electricity if you uh, if you charge it up off peak. It's pure electric. It, it uses these uh, um, lithium batteries to run it. Uh, the the actual brand name of it is the Zero Truck, and it's uh, it's actually just an Isuzu truck that um, has been modified to to run off these uh, to run off these lithium batteries. But I got to doing the math on it. I was I was thinking about that. Wow, that's pretty cool, you know, that they can deliver their freight, you know, any, anywhere up to 50 miles away, and then they drive back, and they've done it all on electricity. They recharge the the truck overnight, and they're ready to make the make the next run the next day. But I got to thinking about that three dollars. That just that started going around in my head, and I thought, well, how much am I paying to go 100 miles, right? A lot and more. I've got a yeah, I've got a pretty fuel efficient car. I drive a Subaru Impreza, and uh, I did a little math on this. I think I get anywhere from 22 to 32 miles per gallon, depending. If I'm driving around Denver in traffic, it's going to go down. It's going to be closer to 22. If I'm just out on the highway heading up to Boulder, it, it moves up uh, in, into into the 30s. But um, you know, split the difference. Call it uh, call it 25 miles an hour. Gas has been anywhere from in the last couple of weeks. I've paid anywhere from 390 to 435 a gallon. So I'm just going to round that off. Call it four bucks. So I'm paying four bucks for every 25 miles I drive. If I drive 100 miles, I'm paying sixteen dollars, and I'm not on any freight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tell you, their their vehicle is not anywhere nearly as aerodynamic as yours. I mean, that thing's like exactly. a yeah, I mean, like driving a box. Looking, yeah, it's yeah. a big boxy looking truck, and it's full of stuff. You know, I mean, it's got to weigh quite a bit. And you think, well, you can you can drive that thing 100 miles for three dollars. That tells me. Okay, that um, all of the alternatives we're looking for, and I think they're all great. I'm not opposed to any of them. I think we should, uh, I think we should drill uh, offshore and even in a responsible way in Anwar. I got, I got no problem with that. You know, I, I think we should uh, start crunching up shale if that's going to work for us. If we want to convert coal to methanol, good idea. Convert trash or uh, crop waste. I, I'm not so big on food, but uh, trash or crop waste to ethanol. And, and burn either methanol or ethanol and flexible vehicles. I think that's a great idea. You know, if we're going to take algae and make diesel from that, I think that's an awesome idea. Or this bacteria I was reading about a couple weeks ago that excretes crude oil, turn that into turn that that's into exciting, gasoline. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's those are all cool ideas. You know, you got you got cars that can run off used French fry grease. Um, we saw a thing last week about converting atmospheric CO2 into gasoline. These are all fantastic ideas, and I am in favor of of pursuing all of them as enthusiastically as possible. But I can't help but think that where automotive transportation has got to really be going uh, is, away from, uh, is away from liquid fuel. And it's because of the math behind this Eero truck versus the, the Subaru Impreza. You know? I read an article this afternoon, Phil, that gives you, would give us more reason to believe that. Okay. Okay. The uh, name of the article is Our Electric Future, and uh, it's written by Andy Grove, who is a former CEO of Intel. Okay, uh, got to I uh, found a link on Instapundit, and I'll have uh, the link in our show notes uh, after the show. Um, part of his thinking is that if we if we can run everything, including our cars, on electricity, that's the ultimate flex fuel. Electricity is the ultimate flex fuel. And why is that? Because we can make electricity using any other kind of fuel. Exactly. You know, but basically, you boil water, and you and which pushes a steam turbine, and that makes electricity. 
that's generally the way you make electricity, regardless of what you're burning. You burn coal, natural gas, nuclear, geothermal, um, solar, I guess, yeah, solar, and uh, and even petroleum. Uh, all of those, all of those methods of making electricity. I guess the only exception would be uh, hydroelectric. Um, it just uh, that that makes electricity by just pushing the turbine without without making steam. But at any rate, all of those. Well, and wind, wind yeah. makes electricity. Just yeah, I mean. Yeah, the same way. But yeah. generally, that's what you're doing. And so you know, the idea is that you know if 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 we're if we've got a uh, car a gas guzzler in the garage. And OPEC cuts off petroleum, then you're staying at home, okay? Right. But if you have an electric vehicle in the garage and they cut off petroleum, then uh, you know maybe your electricity might go up slightly in the margins. But then, but then some other form of electricity then you know pushes into the picture, and so what you've created then is a situation where petroleum is just another commodity that competes with all these other commodities. If we are, if we are driving around in electric cars, and you know, uh, we our, our lives cannot be controlled by you know one person holding that you know a, a majority of a certain resource in the world, um, and so yeah, I think for that exactly, reason exactly because there's just so many different ways to produce electricity. That's right, and so um, I guess I guess the limiting factors there's there's a number of things so we've. Uh, but it, it seems like uh, we, you know, the end may be in sight because the batteries uh, that have have been lacking all these years. Uh, it seems like we're getting closer and closer to having something that would actually work, and that's uh, at, the, at this point it looks like it might be uh, lithium-ion batteries. But I mean, we, they've also been developing uh, supercapacitors um uh that could potentially be uh, a, a competitor of lithium ion batteries i mean there's there's lots of different things that are are potentials and so it's exciting yeah, what what we need is we 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 need the batteries to be a couple or three times better than they are right now which is you know it's a big step but it's hold more electricity charge faster yeah yeah considering how far we've come it's it's not that far and we need to be able to do a quick charge that, yeah. You know, those are the, those are the two things we we need to either have some quick way of swapping them out or a quick way of juicing them up because right. we're, we're we're used to pulling up to a pump and five minutes later your tank is full. That's right. Um, so somehow we need to be able to within a window approximate to that five minutes be able to get the get the electrical charge going and and maybe uh, maybe in the end batteries don't end up being the storage mechanism for electricity. Electricity is still the driver, but we may end up with. Uh, with hydrogen fuel cells that are storing that uh, electrical power, there's 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 uh, there's a number of different ways to do it. Right now, I would say the smart money is on improved battery technology, though, because it seems to me that considering how far we've come and how far we need to go, we're really closing in on it. Right. And the the story about the truck was actually in Popular Mechanics. It was right next to a. Uh, I had actually followed a link from another story. I don't know if you saw this. This was also on Instapundit uh, about a. Um, Electric-powered dirt bike. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, um, I, I read that straight from the magazine, the the, the uh, paper magazine, uh, a couple of months back. Uh, very, very cool. Very cool. That, one, one the torque on those things apparently is amazing. You see these guys flying through the air on these uh, dirt bikes that are completely silent. It's yeah. a very eerie sight, you know. You know, they uh, it's. It has all the power and torque, of, or even more so than a than a, a gas-powered uh, dirt bike. Amazing. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, if you've ever watched motocross, I mean, that's the the, the two defining things are these uh, these bikes grabbing the sky, right? 
awesome leaps and things that they do, and that sound, you know, that's just yeah. always there. You know, I mean, it's just, it's always there. And to think that to uh, to have the capability to be able to ride around like that and not to have it make that noise, that just really sounds like uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. I think uh, the, the the guy writing the article said it was more like riding a big mountain bike. Yeah. Than it was uh, riding a dirt bike. Just be, uh, the, you know, the feeling of it being quiet just really made a huge difference. He was actually able to to interview. Uh, this other guy, while they were both on these bikes, he said, "Try doing that with a uh, with a regular gas power." What? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think yeah, better be, no sign language or something. Yeah, exactly. I think there are going to be advantages to this uh, electric powered economy of of vehicles that uh, that that haven't even occurred to us yet. I think rapid acceleration is is another one. The 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 quiet factor is is another one. The the clean factor. There's there's a lot of these advantages working together. And when you couple that with the economics, it it seems likely to me that um, that that's really where we've got to be going with with how we get around. And you know, I, I worry though about uh, uh, silent motorcycles on the road, though. You know, I mean, one of the, the uh, motorcycles tend to be invisible to uh, to drivers and 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 cars anyway. Uh, right. You know, imagine imagine somebody sitting in your blind spot on a motorcycle that's silent. You know, you, and then you you, you merge and. You, you know, you, you kill that person because they, you didn't hear them at all. Yeah, well, uh, one, one of the things I'm kind of this is the actually that's the Harley Davidson argument, right? Yeah, that yeah. Uh, they're the safest bikes of all because you're you're you, never you, you're going to hear them. Yeah, yeah. When there's when there's one of those uh, in, anywhere in your anywhere in your vicinity. But of course, the other technological breakthrough that I'm uh, looking forward to is a full blown, reliable tactical display on my dashboard, so that. Um, I I don't have to worry about my blind spot. I don't have to worry about hearing anybody. I can always look, and I'll always get a good, accurate readout of who's behind me, who's beside me. The you know the the, the whole thing. And I think that's uh, that's that's a technological that that's that's at a different level and in a different square on Spock's chessboard. But I think we'll uh, we'll we, we'll see that coming along too. And so uh, our quiet cars and the quiet motorcycles will uh, will all be much safer because of that. So that's. My story, and I'm sticking to it. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Phil and Stephen talking about various topics about the future. If you'd like to join us, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972 or take over in the chat room. I've tried to throw a few comments out there, but I'm just, I can't walk and chew gum. What can I tell you? I'm, 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 I'm not good at this. But uh, Matt's, uh, Matt's there, and I see a few of our friends are uh, in the chat room this evening. So uh, sorry, Michael didn't make yeah. it. Uh, yeah, Harv's there. Um, Oh, speaking of Harvey, I, I got an email just before the program started. I wanted to announce I, I, for anyone who's been following Harvey's videos, he um, his his video has actually been featured on Queen Rania of Jordan's site now, and CNN did a story on uh, the fact that she's doing these videos, and um, a, a little a little a little snippet from one of Harvey's videos has now been shown on CNN. So, congrats to you on that, Harvey. We're uh, we're very proud of you as one of our chat room regulars that uh, that that, uh, that your work is getting this well-deserved exposure and attention. That's right. You know, uh, speaking again about energy, uh, I noticed that David Goebel, uh, who, who's been a guest on Fast Forward Radio, uh, commented uh, to your to your blog post. Phil, did you see that? I did, yeah. Dave, Dave's a good friend. He's uh, one of the uh, co-founders of the Methuselah Mouse Prize, and uh, he, he'd made an interesting comment. He talked about how uh, another great way to to save money on traveling is to telecommute, which I couldn't agree more. Actually, I, I yep. uh, work from home at every opportunity that that I can, and uh, that has got to be the the best way not only to save to uh, save energy but to to save time. 
Yeah. You know, when I drive up to the Boulder office, that's uh, 90 minutes out of my day going there, and, 90, you know, that's three hours out of my day um, lost from being productive or from spending time for my family with my family or anything else. So I, so I think that uh, that there are tremendous advantages to virtual presence. I mean, imagine if you and I had to physically get together every time we did this program, how many times would we have done it? Uh, twice. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> exactly. I mean, we, you and I have met twice. I mean, physically. I mean, in the same place at the same time. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, so we would we would have done it twice. I mean, the, there's just a huge economy of scale associated with uh, right. with, with telecommuting, and I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's what what uh, Dave was getting at. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, it, there are some jobs. Uh, I, I was uh, laughing as I thought about you know what are the jobs that you just can't telecommute and do. Well. Uh, Surgeon, farmer, auto mechanic, concert violinist. But, you know, I got to thinking as I made my list, I started scratching things off. There are, you know, I've, I've seen like uh, some tele- television program on the Discover Channel or something showing a surgeon using telepresence with a robot. He literally would put his hands into this uh, machine uh, at his hospital and like half a world away, some robot would be operating on somebody that would uh, be perfectly mimicking his his moves with, uh, um, you know, bi- robotically. You know, I, 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 I suppose uh, an auto mechanic could do the same thing uh, if, uh, if, if necessary or, you know, there's... It's, it's, it's uh, you know, as, as uh, technology uh, advances, it, the list of things that you have to be present to do, seem, it would seem to me, would, would shrink. Well, you think about the concert violinist, that's interesting. If, if you've got a very precise uh, robot mimicking uh, this guy's actions, he could be faking it in one place, and the robot could be performing the music elsewhere. Right. But it, somehow you wouldn't really feel like you were seeing the concert violinist in that case, right? I mean, was, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess the best... Uh, the best thing that you could do if you're not if you're not going to have the guy in the room is to probably get your Blu-ray player <laughs> and right. and, that, and have a Blu-ray disc and and play him through your hi-fi and uh, you know you could you could see him in high definition and hear him and that's probably about as good a, a telepresence that the concert violinist could do. Um, yeah, it seems to me that's the closest. But you know what's interesting? You think about that because we've we've talked a while back about. A robot that could play the violin anyway. They're right. programming them to do that. You, you think about the the robot that's performing the surgery or doing the auto mechanical work. You know, you put enough smarts in the robot, and then you don't even need to telecommute anymore, right? You're just right. out of a job. Yeah, that's <laughs> you've right. The, you've, you've got the robot doing it. That's right. Uh, that, that person's got to find something else to do, I guess. Right. Exactly. So, and that'll be another great way to save energy. Um, when we don't, any of us have to do our jobs because the robots will be uh, will be doing them for us, and then and then you and I, Stephen, will be on this program. What I guess six, seven hours every day. That's right. This will be our job when when, when there's no other job left. Yeah, the robots will be doing other stuff for us until they start doing this, and then I don't know what we're going to do. I'm <laughs> I'm going to go over to Game Tap and play Cubert, I guess, at that <laughs> or something. Yeah, <laughs> that'll that'll be where I go. Go on, well, I wanted I, I wanted to. Uh, Shift gears just a little here because we've got a, uh, a couple of interesting, uh, uh, interesting science stories that I wanted to bring out tonight. So I thought we might uh, have a quick check into the world of science. Astounding science facts. 
song. Yeah, so well, I've got uh, I've got two astounding science facts for us this evening. The first is uh, I, I don't know if you if you followed either the links that that I sent out before the program, Stephen. But the first one uh, sounds really devastating. The headline is Jupiter's third red spot destroyed. And, okay. Um, I had written on the Speculist uh, probably about a month ago about how, as we all know, Jupiter is famous. The planet Jupiter is famous for having this big red spot on it. It's been yeah. there for hundreds of years. Um, it's been identified as a storm system. Um, but uh, for as long as people have been looking at Jupiter, that spot has been there. And then, interestingly, a while back, a second spot appeared, and then a third spot appeared. And suddenly Jupiter, which was famous for having one red spot, all of a sudden had three big red spots on it. And it, it was this kind of, wow, now... You know, we'll have to talk about each one separately or, um, you know, how are we ever going to keep straight which one is which? Because if they keep moving around, it's like, you know, Jupiter's playing three-card Monty on us. Will, will we even know which is the original big red spot? Um, and it was this kind of, uh, oh, the face of the, face of the planet. It, it's kind of like if Saturn started messing with its rings, right? It's almost at that level. I mean, you know, this, is, this planet is known for the red spot, and now suddenly uh, it, it's grown to more, and all is confusion. Well... It turns out that uh, that the planet Jupiter uh, does spin off additional storm systems from time to time, or I should say they start up from time to time. But you know what always happens to all those storms? What's that? They get swallowed up by the big one. Okay. So uh, inevitably, uh, these smaller storm systems, either they dissipate if they're really small, but if they become red, if they become big red ones like the, like the big red spot, eventually they're going to run into the, the big red spot and it just eats it. And so um, there, there were three, and then there were two, and now there's one once again, uh, the big red spot, the original big red spot, and it just owns that planet. So nobody need worry. Um, <laughs> there, there, there is one red spot on Jupiter for the foreseeable future, and if others uh, come along, it's likely to uh, destroy them. So, Well, you know, and I heard an explanation, and I, I have not – it didn't stick for whatever reason, uh, but there – it's it's apparently it's understood why this this storm rages on and on without end uh on Jupiter whereas say a hurricane on our planet it, you know it it runs its course and it's it's done you know um you know I, I, it might just be simply the the vast size of the planet I, but it was more technical than that I read I I guess I have to look it up put a link in the show notes yeah, well, that apparently that storm system is kind of like our uh, uh, jet stream, right? It's just a permanent feature of the atmosphere of Jupiter. It's just something that uh, everything else being set up the way it is, you've got that storm on Jupiter. Just like everything else being set up the way it is, you've got these winds on this planet. It's just a uh, apparently permanent feature of the planet, or, or if not permanent, certainly... Uh, Long a very long-lasting feature of the planet. Yeah, interesting. So, and 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 back to normal now. I think that was the uh, that was the important thing. They were actually talking. One, one of the interesting things about that was why was there so much more additional storm activity on Jupiter? Um, uh, apparently, because the planet's been warming up quite a bit, and we've we've talked about how uh, global warming on Earth seems to be mimicked by solar warming elsewhere in the uh, elsewhere in the solar system on Mars and on uh, I believe. Pluto, in addition to on Jupiter, there there has been a measurable increase in temperature, and uh, there's a thought that that might have more to do with the sun than it does with uh, with all those big SUVs they're driving around on Jupiter. But um, 
Yeah, <laughs> that hasn't been uh, that, that hasn't been. We, we haven't verified the the uh, the absence of our presence of uh, SUVs has not been verified yet on Jupiter. So we'll just have to exactly. See. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although you can't make too much of that because you figure if we're if we're studying the temperatures on the different planets. Uh, at any one time, about half of them should be getting warmer, and about half of them should be getting cooler. So the fact that a few of them are getting warmer doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, it's a solar system-wide trend. But it could be, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing to ponder. Speaking of interesting things to ponder, uh, our second story uh, here on Astounding Science Facts this evening. I'm going to read you the headline. Stephen, I want to get your response. Okay. Science Daily News, Science News, children are naturally prone to be empathic and moral. <laughs> As a father of four, I, I, I find that a little bit uh, humorous. Uh, I think children are, are, are you know, I, I think that children are naturally prone to uh, to be selfish, basically, I guess is the best way of putting it. Well, this is one of those <laughs> and, things. And, 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 being, and being empathic or, 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 or empathetic uh, is, uh, I think, is, is sometimes a learned behavior. But anyway, go ahead, Phil. I'm sorry. Well, that, that's, that's, that's my take. I mean, I read this and I go, well, hang on. Um, and and it's, it sounds like uh, something that uh, it was a very popular idea in the 70s. You know, yeah. oh, all this selfishness and violence. This is all learned behavior. And really, human beings left to themselves are are naturally good. You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, especially with children. That's why I'm sure as a father, you've often had to say, now, son, you're you're sharing your toys again. Stop that. <laughs> you're doing it entirely too much. You got to watch out. Yeah. 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 Stop no. sharing your toys. And go over there and smack your brother upside the head, right? <laughs> That's right. I have to counsel him every day to do that. Yeah, I mean, those are learned behaviors that, 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 that people have to give to their children, right? I, I, I just, I never, I never could buy that. But actually, what it's saying is that children between the ages of seven and twelve appear to be naturally inclined to feel empathy for others in pain, according to researchers at the University of Chicago who used functional uh, MRI scans to study the responses in children. So basically. Um, if you show a kid a picture of somebody stubbing their toe, it it uh, it fires the neurons in the brain that uh, if they had stubbed their own toe, right? Um, or if you show them a picture of somebody stepping on their foot, I, I don't know why they were all like people getting their feet hurt, but the, 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 those were the those were the pictures shown in the article. And right. when you put it that way, I think well, I'm not surprised at all because. You know, obviously, I think uh, at, at a very young age, children are sensitive to um, the fact that others around them might be suffering, that, uh, uh, and, and they don't want to see that happening. Right. Yeah, and maybe 7 to 12 is uh, too late. You know, I mean, um, if, if their point is that uh, it's a natural thing and, and not a learned behavior, then they could have already learned it about that time. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what those scanners show on a three-year-old. Yeah, right. Well, you know, you know I, I would. I've I've heard uh, studies done about uh, you know babies like in in uh, within the hospital right after they're born. You take a quiet, calm baby and put it, and 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 the baby's doing just fine. And then you put him in the nursery with the other babies that are crying, and then he starts crying, almost out of empathy uh, for you know. You know, uh, for the other babies or whatever. Uh, but uh, or it could be that you know they're bothering him. <laughs> it could. <laughs> it's hard to know at that age what you know what what the other uh, what the other uh, the crying what effect and why that has that effect on a child that they start crying when they hear other babies crying. Um, but yeah, that's. Oh well. 
it, it the truth is I think we have the capacity for for both for being yeah well, I got a kick out of the headline but I, it sounds to yeah. me like the research is sound uh, but not all yeah. that surprising when when you consider the age group I'd like to see some research on uh, on babies yeah on, on much younger children and see if the uh, if the empathy is uh, is kicking in if it's if it's really hardwired in or is it something that uh, that people are learning well I see by the time that we've actually come right up on our uh, right, right up on our hour here that time has just flown by with our oh yeah with uh, our, our two surprise, surprise guests, guests and everything else yeah and and all the fun stuff we had to talk about this evening so uh what have we got going on wise this evening okay um the band uh, chewy marble makes a triumphant return tonight the all song right. is the song is she rocks and uh, we will have a link to this song if you if you like it and you want to you want to download it or whatever we'll have the link in our show notes along with links to the other things that we've talked about tonight uh just yeah, come by us's book trailer and uh everything else we talked about everything else and so yeah just uh just come on by our our, our website is www.blog.speculist.com all right well thank you Stephen. we look forward to listening to uh, i'm sorry you you rock was it she rocks she rocks by Chewy Marble, and I uh, want to thank once again our two special surprise guests, Soraya Yahya, my wife, and Tobias Buckel for joining us this evening. Thanks to our friends in the chat room. Don't know what happened with our chat host tonight. Hope everything's okay, Michael. We'll look forward to having you back next week, and we look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. Good night.